Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. Listen to this. This is the tape I found downstairs. It has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandar with a group of my colleagues. Now my wife and I have retreated to a small cabin in the solitude of these mountains. I believe I have made a significant find in the Kandarian ruins, a volume of ancient Sumerian burial practices and funerary incantations. It is entitled Naturan de Manto, roughly translated Book of the Dead. From the gnarled woods of Michigan to the sun-kissed skyline of L.A. We are Halloweenies! You said I hope you understand when you read this letter that you're better off without me. Cause around me is stormy weather. Stormy weather. And always surrounds me. Greetings and welcome yet again. To another episode of Halloweenies, a horror franchise podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Justin Gerber. Folks, you are about to hear. Sit down. I hope you're sitting down. Because you're about to hear the debut entry of our new monthly series titled Now Showing. In which your Halloweenies and guests will discuss what's happening in the here and now outside of the horror franchise realm. Offering up our takes on the most recent movie releases at the end of the podcast, or should I say the end of the episode at the very least, we'll we'll take a look at the past with fresh eyes and each discuss a movie that we have seen for the first time within the past month, or at least the last time we recorded. And since this is our first episode of the year, we had three months to play with, so we're the lucky ones right off the bat. But, uh, but don't worry, I'm sure we'll still end up bleeding nostalgia somehow. So, you know, we'll, we'll be good to go. It's the same old Halloweenies, embracing the past and charging against the future. Uh, but speaking of, uh, of bleeding, I know he loves Bleeding Gums Murphy. In addition to Jimmy Eat World's Bleed American, introduce yourself. This is Dan Dracula Caffrey. I do love both of those things. Although you're a more recent Simpsons scholar than I have because you've seen, you're up to date, right? On the whole thing. I have not watched the past season, but I am up to date. Uh, thank, thanks. Finally, somebody's going to say this. Thanks to the pandemic, I spent uh, a whole year killing time by watching the first, I guess it would have been 32 seasons of The Simpsons. Uh, two a day. Of course, inevitably, there'd be days where I fell behind, so I was watching six a day. But the great thing is, even about The Simpsons, here's the thing, even about the bad episodes, is that they're no longer than 22 minutes long, and they always fly by. Because it's yeah. a joke a minute. There's never, you know, there's no very special episodes of The Simpsons. Well, there are, but they still fly by. I'll put it that way. Yeah, and I, well, it, Bleeding Gums Murphy, I'm assuming, has stayed dead throughout the series right or i don't know they retcon things i think later he on, came don't they? back 
as a he's come back as a ghost or in a dream that Lisa's had. He's definitely come back throughout the series, but not He's done like the Lion King thing in the sky, which I thought was a yes, funny bit. Which and then is, they yeah, had James Earl Jones say, uh this is CNN, which I thought this was also is CNN. Good. Uh yeah, so I'm I'm still a fan of his. I feel weird. I don't know if I can say I'm a Simpsons fan. I've yeah, I've seen, you know, thirteen seasons of the show, but there's like twenty seasons I haven't. Maybe I think as long day. as you've seen the crux of the or at least the majority of the nineties run. You can consider yourself a Simpsons yeah. fan, and many times over too. Like I, I mean, it's like any any guy our age or any person our age who likes pop culture. I, you know, you can quote most Simpsons episodes. Uh, I wouldn't say front to back, but I I know a quote from pretty much every Simpsons episode from the Golden Run. I would say it was so hard to figure out what my favorite seasons were because again, I was just watching them one after the other for a year. Uh, but you could slowly but surely tell when different people took over and went on. But I'll tell you what. I told you, I told you out there that we would start to bleed nostalgia. And we're three minutes in, we're already talking about the good old days of The Simpsons. I know, it's like so the basic, right? Like, oh, the did Simpsons it. used to be so good. <laughs> uh, we did it, Joe. We did it. And we do have a very special guest for this episode, calling in all the way from a place our parents knew through Johnny Cash. Uh, our generation knows through the band Arrested Development the crazy kids of today know through Chris Stapleton, and that state is Tennessee. So introduce yourself. Who is this? Ooh, this is Jen Treehouse of Terror Adams. And yes, I said it wrong, and I will never say Treehouse of Horror because it is just egregious. So yes. I was, coincidentally, I was on Jen's Treehouse of Terror, I will join uh-huh. you in that mistake, uh, episode for, uh, back in the old Psychoanalysis podcast. Yeah, yeah, where we talked about our favorite, I think we ranked um, our favorite segments of the Treehouse of Horror, and then we talked about our favorite episodes, which, and the the Treehouse of Terror, I don't know, <laughs> it's still my favorite. Those are always the best, I think. Even the ones that are bad are still a little bit fun, but I just did a binge. That's my real go-to, like, I need to get some shit done, but I also can't sit in silence because my brain will attack me, mm-hmm. and so I, that's a, a big go-to background watch for me. It's and my kids are starting works, to pick yeah. it up too, you know. That must be surreal for your kids to pick it up. I wonder if your kids are they watching the, the, the current seasons or are they going back and watching the old ones? Oh, they're only watching it when I'm watching uh, it. Okay, but okay. it's nice to not have to change the channel when they come into the room. You know, like Yeah. Because yeah. I watch so much scary stuff and like my son is super sensitive. He'll be like, Is it scary? But like I can leave the Simpsons on now, which makes which makes me very happy. And they and they like it because it's animation, you know. I remember during the throes of the pandemic, when I was watching The Simpsons every day, I remember you were firing up a Serbian film every day for a year. <laughs> I was, and, yeah. Um, I'm a big movies does... on repeat fan, and you know <laughs> yeah. that one. That one's I a like go-to. To to that. You, like to, you always love to talk about the ending of that film. Oh, yeah. So, Jen, we, we've talked about Scream 6, uh, the mm-hmm. five of us, and our I think it was roughly a seven-hour episode that we ended up doing for <laughs> Scream 6. Mm-hmm. But if you want, do you want to offer up your thoughts on, on the film here? We're, we're, we're going to try to keep all this spoiler-free, by the way, out there. Okay. Because we're talking yeah, so, about a lot of 2023 stuff. So, Well, I love that the killers are actually <laughs> – <Okay. laughs> sorry. I'm not going to spoil it. Um, I, I really loved it. Like, I don't know where it would go in my actual ranking because – the first two are some of my all-time favorite movies. I had a really great time watching it. I think a lot of the things that they did were really smart. It's probably my favorite film of the year so far. Mm. It didn't really change my life, though, in the way that some of the other ones have, but I, I had a great time with it. And I was one of the critics that was going nuts about it before it 
came out and that's faded just a little bit, but I still, you know, and I hear the criticisms. Like, I don't think it's perfect like the first two, but, but I did. I really loved it. I think that's something to consider too is, is the theater experience when you're seeing some mm-hmm. of these movies, right? If you're seeing it at a film festival or if you're seeing it at a critics festival or a critics right. festival, a critic <laughs> screening. Oh, Man, that sounds like a fun sounds time, doesn't it? A man. critics yeah. festival. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if that does play a part sometimes, especially especially film festivals. So I think we've all been to. And then mm-hmm. sometimes when we see it in just an, a, a normal everyday commercial crowd or even just months later on our own, maybe doesn't hold up the same, but I'm looking forward to revisiting Scream 6, which I did enjoy. And yeah, I've only seen it the once though. So I'm, I'm definitely planning on seeing yeah, it again to see how I feel about the second time. Now, Caffrey, I know we've talked a little bit about this off pod as it were, but you did see Scream 6 again, right? How did you feel? Did you feel more or less the same as you felt about the first time? Pretty much. I would say both the strengths and the weaknesses were amplified for me the second time. It, there are certain movies <laughs> I feel like we did bring this up on the pod, but you know, watching There Will Be Blood for the second time, right? Okay, You're yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. there's <laughs> mysteries that I'm starting to delve a little bit further into. And there are scenes that maybe I assumed were boring that are hitting me in a different way, right? It affects mm-hmm. me differently. Scream 6 was pretty much the highs were higher, the lows were a bit lower. So I, mm-hmm. I walked out of it probably with the same ranking of the movies and having the same feelings about it. I did. Um, I think I said this to you, Justin, there was this really funny TikTok that my friend, I think my friend Casey sent who I saw it with, and it's just this, <laughs> it's sick. Like this doesn't spoil anything, but characters after getting stabbed nine times in the scream movie, and it's just someone like silently screaming in pain. And then they just get up and go, let's keep these good vibes going. <laughs> and I, I, was like, really, I thought that was such an accurate, like summation of, of both what I yeah. love and sometimes hate about the screen. Yeah. Movies. Not to pat myself on the back, but I've got a pretty good niche meme that I'll be posting in a couple months. Once ah. more or less the people that really want to see scream six, I've a couple seen months. Scream 6. We can't, we, we can't well, I'll wait I'll send it to long. you here. Jen, I don't know if you're going to get this bit. It's from G.I. Joe the movie. Have you seen G.I. Joe the movie in the last 30 years? <laughs> oh, I know what this is no, going to be. No, have I ever right. seen G.I. Joe the movie? Okay, no. well, there you go. But <laughs> Dan, I will send it to you later. You might even know what the bit is. I, I remember us talking about it. Um, I, I'm excited to see it. I'm pretty sure I know what it's going to yeah. be, but I'm excited it's, for it. Uh, it's not exactly what you think it is. It's, it's, in my opinion, once again, let me pat myself on the back, a little funnier. <laughs> Is this G.I. Joe with Channing Tatum? Oh, no, no, no. This is, we're talking about. Animated, uh, this is during the Iran Contra, <laughs> Oliver North era. Uh, <laughs> this is right before uh, the first George Bush goes into office. Uh, you know, the good old days. The good old days, yeah. <laughs> I've never seen the live action G.I. Joe movies with Joseph Gordon Levitt and everything. Mm. Yeah. Oh, is that? Oh. Right, isn't he Cobra I mean, Commander? Joseph Gordon Levitt? The second one was much more faithful. Listen. <laughs> My God, we're already doing it. We're already doing it. You already got me talking about G.I. Joe. You got me talking about The Simpsons. Let's break down this episode a little bit further here. So here's the deal. And it's equal parts exciting and, and admittedly a little intimidating. We did not do a test run for the series. So <laughs> it may stay the same going forward or it may change. Who's to say besides maybe some listeners and, you know, the other Halloweenies who are not involved. <laughs> once they listen back, say, let's do this or... Or, or you know what? Maybe they'll say, stay the course. The three of you did such a wonderful job. We can't imagine altering one bit of it. Yeah. We are That's, Jason Bateman in the first episode of Ozark. We are we setting are. the tone. You know? And when they started to change that show, boy, I thought it really uh, 
it did go downhill. So they should have yeah. stayed the course. And we're going to stay the course have. here. So what we're going to do to start is we're just going to kind of round robin here. I'm going to kick off with a movie I want to discuss. It came out in 2023. And then, Dan, when we're, when we're wrapping this part of it up, you can, you can kick it in and then I'll throw it to Jen to round it out. And if, if, if we got a lot of time left, we'll keep it going. You know, we've seen some movies this year. We, we, we're known to talk a lot when we're talking about movies and in general, some might say, including myself. So let's see how we do. But let's start off this conversation with what might be the biggest horror movie of the year so far. And that's a title that's in all caps. It's got a number in it. It's a little confusing. It's called M3GAN. You know what I'm talking about? I'm, uh, I'm kidding. It could have been Scream I'm, 6. It could have been Scream right, 6. Right, exactly. Yeah, a little, uh, little bait and switch there. Scravy. No, we're talking about Megan, directed by Gerard. Uh, I'll say it's Jared uh, Johnstone, who directed a little film called Housebound. Has anybody here seen Housebound, by the way? We've never talked about it on the podcast. I have not. I've heard good things, yeah. though, Jen. You've seen it? It's New Zealand film, I think, yes, right? It is. Yeah, it is really funny. It's very quirky. I don't remember a ton about it, but I remember really enjoying it. So yeah, check it out. I think it's, it's been on Netflix for a while, I think. Yeah, I think it was on Shudder even for a period there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A fun movie. It does. It subverts your expectations for yes. sure. It's not what you think it is. And it's rare yeah. that you can say that these days, right? Usually it is what you think it is. Now this movie mm-hmm. is a little bit more than that. A little bit about Megan for all of you who have been shut off, <laughs> maybe, for the last few months. This is the synopsis I I culled from Google.com. Check it out. No free ads. Megan is a marvel of artificial intelligence, a lifelike doll that's programmed to be a child's greatest companion and a parent's greatest ally. Designed by Gemma, a brilliant roboticist. Didn't know that was an actual term or profession, but there you go. Megan can listen, watch, and learn as it plays the role of friend and teacher, playmate, and protector. When Gemma becomes the unexpected caretaker of her eight-year-old niece, she decides to give the girl a Megan prototype, a decision that leads to unimaginable consequences. Now, who here has seen Megan? Both of you? Yep. All right, that's cool. That's good. So we'll spoil the whole thing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> We're still keeping it somewhat spoiler-free, but we'll, we'll, more, we'll more or less get to the, the, the main bones, I guess you could say, of this so for me, it's it's gotten more or less positive reviews, I think. It was a big box office hit. Mm-hmm. There's going to be another one coming. And I think that Johnston and writer Akilah Cooper, who also did Malignant, by the way, mm-hmm. they do a very good job of balancing the terror of the situation and the humor. Because there are some songs in this movie that could have gone really wrong into like cringe meme territory. But I don't think it ever goes that far. And I also say the look of the movie, the digital look of it all actually served the story itself. You know, this is very much an, an AI story. So, Jen, what did you think about Megan when you saw it? Um, I had a really fun time watching it in the theaters. I feel like it, it like you said, like the blend to horror to humor, I found like a real sweet spot. It mm-hmm. really won my heart when she plays Toy Soldiers on the piano, which is like one of my favorite mm. songs. And I feel like nobody knows about it, you know? And I was like, oh, that is so smart. I love it. Um, also just love a piano playing villain. Um, <laughs> but I think I wanted more carnage 
You know, that was my biggest complaint mm-hmm. of the movie is I wanted, I really wanted to see her fuck some shit up. And she does, but, you know, I wanted, I guess I wanted an R. But yeah, I enjoyed it. Well, here's the thing. Did you watch, have you seen the unrated version? I have not seen the unrated. Mm. I've heard, okay, so is is there more blood there? There is. And as I found out, it wasn't like anything was added later. Apparently, the unrated version is the original version of it. Oh, really? But they they and, dialed it back to PG-13 to try to get more eyes and to get, sell more tickets. Jason Blum, Jason Blum yeah. loves the, what's his favorite demographic for audiences, right? It's the, the, uh, the teens. He always, yeah, he, th- he thanked them specifically on Twitter. Oh, he's, really? He's, he's producer to Matthew his core. Matthew McConaughey and uh, Dazed and Confused but, interview there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, not in a creepy way, I don't think. Right. <laughs> no, 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 Lord, no. He thanks them for their business. Allegedly, he, he loves them for their their patronage. But I will say, I have only seen the unrated version, and the unrated version is much bloodier. It definitely really? is. I would definitely advise you go, either if, you, if you don't want to revisit it so soon. Go check it out. Go check out the differences on YouTube because there are market differences. Really? It's not one of those. Oh, there's 0.5 extra seconds of this person bleeding, and ergo, it's unrated now because the MPAA hasn't approved mm, it or seen mm-hmm. it. Uh, but no, it's it's definitely worth. I would definitely recommend the unrated version for all of you uh, horror freaks out there like myself. Caffrey, what do you think about the film again, though? I did watch the unrated version, but I haven't seen the standard version, so I don't mm. really have anything to compare it to. And I I did enjoy it. I am still in agreement with Jen's criticism, even after seeing the unrated version. I, I think I just wanted maybe one or two more freaky scenes, right? Mm-hmm. I do think it had a nice balance of horror and comedy, but uh, and commentary. I actually thought the commentary was the best part of the movie. I thought they handled the... Emotional challenges and complexities of dealing with AI very well. I thought that was the the end, which is rare for a horror movie for that to be the thing that stands out. But I think because I'd seen all the memes and the gifs beforehand of like her dancing and all this, I was just expecting something a little bit wilder. Like when mm-hmm. I think of the tone of a movie like The Guest, right, or um, mm-hmm. yeah. Upgrade, which yeah. Mm. I'd say I like both of those movies a little bit more than Megan. Yeah. I heard a lot of hype about both of them just regarding the action sequences, right? And they very much lived up to that. And I felt like with Megan, the third act got kind of reaches that a little bit, but I was I was left waiting for it a little bit throughout. I still liked it. I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on the movie, but for you know, for it becoming this kind of I don't know, people kept calling it a camp classic, and I, I didn't, I don't know if I'd actually call it camp. I, I don't think, no, I th- and I, and on, maybe that's part of it. Like if I hear camp classic, I'm expecting something to go really zany, and the movie isn't that. And I'm glad it's not that because, uh, to be honest, I'm not a big fan of camp. But maybe that just fueled my expectations that it was just going to be crazier than it than it was. So maybe I had too much unfair or inaccurate context going into the movie. Yeah, so I, I think I, you know, I'm at like a 3.5 out of 5 for Megan. So I liked it, but I just wanted to go a little bit harder, if that makes sense. Well, a couple of things. And I think with, when people quickly identify something as a classic to begin with, or even a camp classic, I think you need some space. Mm-hmm. A camp classic has to be something you look back on in the future and say, oh, that's a camp classic. Unless you want to say it's a future camp classic, sure. But, it, you know, <laughs> it's camp yeah. and classic you need time to let the the product digest, not to sound too, you know. When it's also, analytical, analytical. I think it's kind of too, so I don't know. There, there are probably people that hear this and completely disagree with me. And, and once again, I'm not a big like camp fan anyway, but I almost feel like it has to be somewhat unintentional. And I feel yes. like Megan was a very self-aware movie, um, which is why I didn't consider it, it camp. Yeah. What were you going to say, Jen? 
Well, I, I feel like Megan herself is camp, but I don't know if the movie, like the overall mm. film is, you know, and I think that's why it's got a little bit of that kind of campy energy. But I mean, you could also read it as a, a straightforward because it, like, it reminds me a lot of the Good Son kind of movie, yeah. you know, and a lot of yeah. it is dark, you know, and like Dan, like what you said, one of the things I really loved about it is how it deals with like themes of technology and AI, but also how parenting comes into that, you know, which is my kids are getting older and they can like access YouTube on their own. That's something that I've been thinking about a lot. And I think that that kind of level of the film makes it more terrifying to me. But it also really, really smartly, I think, references a lot of sci-fi horror. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't want to spoil any of it because a lot of it happens at the end, which is one of the best sequences, I think. But, you know, Alien is a fairly subdued movie. And Aliens is explosive and massive and awesome. So, you know, we know there's going to be a Megan's. Mm -hmm. I hope it's with a Z at the end. That would be fun. Wait, is that what they're really calling it? Megan's? I don't know. Oh, That would be cool. It's Megan's dollar sign. (laughs) When when Megan 3 comes out, it's going to get really confusing with that title. I'll put it that way. Right. Jane, you talked about sci-fi horror, and there's something I was thinking about. I think the reason this movie creeped me out a little bit more than it maybe would have even 10 or 20 years ago is I remember growing up and watching Michael Crichton's Westworld which was made in the 70s, and it's about this future where there's a theme park and these cyborgs, they go, they run amok. The things go wrong. It was made, it was kind of adapted into an HBO mini or series that, in my opinion, tried to tackle way too much and ended up getting canceled after a couple of years. <laughs> Whole other podcast. And then in the 80s, I was watching, I remember watching Wes Craven's Deadly Friend. And this is about this sad sack high schooler, I think, who creates a robot or a cyborg again in with the visage of his his friend hence the deadly friend guess what happens mm-hmm. it doesn't go right does he kill people <laughs> can you believe it no it, ironically enough played by chrissy swanson uh, as a matter of fact oh, ooh. Uh, tough Famous days problematic fave yeah, yeah. <laughs> tough days <laughs> is she problematic or just kind of like no, she's problematic. Like, she's problematic. <laughs> no, no, she's I mean, problematic. I mean, she is, Both, but you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She says some things. She says I'll some put it that way. Nasty, not cool things. <laughs> but the point I want to make about those is that when you're watching those movies, they feel so far away. But when you're watching this movie, I'm not saying that these dolls are going to be on the market any second, but we feel a lot closer to a Megan-type doll entering the marketplace than I ever did watching Westworld when I was a kid, you know? I think right. that does add something to it. It's like this recent shift that could be happening any day now i mean chat gbt mm-hmm. all these ai artwork that's coming out like i'm look i'm not a doomsayer by any means but i'm just saying that some it's something different with watching megan than watching westworld well there you know? is a de- I, I think this is already here i mean mm. there is an element now of technology playing a big part in the emotional development of children and that's here already yeah. regardless yeah. of robots or whatever here. else mm-hmm I don't think she mind me saying this, yeah. So, um, <laughs> my my sister has a, a nine year old, my niece, and they have Alexa throughout the house, right? And you know, my my sister can see like what my niece is asking Alexa, and she just looks at it every now and then to make sure that that her daughter's okay and not asking troubling questions. And for the most part, she's not. But you know, it will be, it will say things like, um, "Oh man, I wish." It, my sister will send me these texts. They're, I mean, a lot of it's really funny. Like, it, it'll, it'll be like, you know, Alexa, can you die from swallowing a bee? But then I guess Alexa won't answer. They'll be like, Alexa, Alexa. Like, it'll, it'll be this repeating <laughs> oh, no. thing. And so, you know, she hasn't, I wouldn't say that our niece has asked anything hyper troubling, but you can see 
you can see the trust that she's putting into this thing that is a form of AI, right? And that yeah. you can see if you look at the questions over the past couple of years, they are getting a little bit deeper and more profound and having to do more with emotion rather than just a funny fact she wants to learn. Well, and yeah. the thing is, Megan, things obviously start to go wrong in Megan, but initially Megan is basically Alexa yeah. inside mm-hmm. of a doll because Megan right. is answering questions about things and, and teaching and whatnot. So we're only a doll away, folks. She's like a, she's <laughs> like Alexa meets uh, Simone, that movie with is Al Pacino. That I don't remember. That's Al Pacino. Yeah, that was. was it, uh, wasn't there a three in that also? Am I making that up? It was Sim 1. Oh, Sim One was it good? So, I did not Simone, see that movie. I'm uh, no, 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 it was not very good. I think that was that was that his follow up to Gattaca, same director, I think. Oh, Andrew, I think meant Al Pacino. I'm like Al Pacino is not in Gattaca. Yeah, no, no, no. He was in the Gattaca Part Two, of course. Ah, uh, <laughs> of course. Get, my get favorite Gattaca. Classic movie. Gattaca. <laughs> One of the great you guys, you know, it's been nicer lately. And in Wisconsin, you never quite know when winter is going to be in, but it's been nice for like four days in a row. And I'm like, if sunnier days are coming, it's time to fuel up. And so I'm going back to my factor meals that no prep, no mess. I want to hit my weight goals before it's time to hit that beach. You've got options like calorie smart, protein plus, keto. Factor has these fresh, never frozen meals, dietitian approved guys. And here's the big thing for me, keeping out of the kitchen as much as possible, two minutes and these meals are ready. So it doesn't matter how busy you are, you've always got time. So treat yourself. They have 35 different meals to pick from, 60 add-ons to choose every week. You're always going to have new stuff to try. Have it whenever you want. It's effortless, guys. So if you'd like to try it yourself, head to factormeals.com slash badmovies50 and use code badmovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code badmovies50 at factormeals.com slash badmovies50 to get 50% off of your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's something else about this movie. I mentioned it briefly earlier. Kayla Cooper wrote it, and she also did Malignant, which I I, I liked quite a bit, actually. That's a good example of a movie that really goes off the rails deliberately. Yes. I think, Jenna, Jenna, you and I have talked about this movie before, but Dan, have you seen, have we ever talked about Malignant? And and did you, did you enjoy where that thing went? That thing, because so, it definitely right, this goes is another, places. This is another it case of this. Goes it, places. it makes sense that there's similar minds behind it because I heard so much about Malignant, and I heard it was polarizing. I remember some people loved it, some oh, yeah, people hated definitely. it. But what everyone said was like, "Oh, it's so wild! It gets crazy." And man, I, I watched like 30 minutes of that movie, and I thought it was pretty standard and boring. I was like, "When does it get fucking crazy?" So I never finished it. Right? Oh, I, oh Dan, oh. listen, trust. I, we've known each other for a long time, and Jen, you, you, we, you've known Jen for a long time too. Yeah. I am telling you. The last 15, 20 minutes of this movie. But you're 15, not yeah. 20 minutes, That's man. when like, it gets fucking crazy. Well, I'm through, telling like... you, it, but it builds up. It earns right. It earns the time you spend with it. I'm telling you. I thought it was a good movie. All right. Yeah. I'll, hey, I'll, I'll revisit it. It's still on HBO, right? I think. I'm, I'm I think forever. Streaming. So, yeah. yeah. And I will say, like, there are some things that happened in the first 30 minutes that really pissed me off that I did not enjoy. And oh, I was yeah. watching it while I was doing, like, checking emails and stuff. So maybe... Put it on for the first hour while you're folding laundry. The dishwashing or movie. That's good. Uh, that's, exactly. my, that's my thing. And then I do. when things start to get crazy, like Corey walked in the room at a very key time, mm, wow. and he looked at the screen. And he was like, "What the fuck are you watching?" Really? Yeah. I was like, I I, "And I, I will say, I still know nothing." I mean, the problem is now. Oh I'm gonna man, to, I'm gonna have to rewatch that first thirty minutes now too because I don't remember anything that happened. I, well, there was like a crime scene. That's all I remember really. Well, um, well, yeah. Boy, you got a long way to go. Then uh, that's okay. Though. Know. But that's all right. But you know? I know it nothing. is worth it, especially. If you've avoided somehow managed to avoid the I twist, I, 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 I know little, nothing about the craziness, the twist, anything. So maybe I should revisit. I, I did like *Malignant* 
a smidge above Megan. I, I, I think so too. That. I think more because of the creative factor for yes. Malignant, you know, yeah. and the, the what the fuck factor, Are, you know. Had they, I know they've talked about crossing over Insidious and Sinister. Have they talked about folding Malignant into that? And and Megan, are we going to get like... Malignant? (laughs) Well, I mean, look, you know, think about this. So Insidious... Is it Blumhouse? Is Insidious... I always get the the conjuring is... Rothman always has a story about... I don't think Sinister is... One of them is I not don't think Blumhouse. Sinister is Blood Insidious ha- is, I think. Because Insidious Ro- is because it's in the Wanaverse, I think. That's right. Because right. Rothman that's interviewed Blumhouse. Mm. No, no, wait. Or is it The Conjuring that's not Blumhouse? Sinister Conjuring is not Blumhouse. I think that was that's a mistake right. that Rothman I think, once made. I think Rothman interviewed Jason Blum and like brought up how The Conjuring was Blumhouse. I, I, did Jason Blum just go, ah, that's not I Blumhouse. I got some news for everybody. <laughs> sinister is a Blumhouse. Ah. That's what I thought. But what the point is, though, is that Megan was a Blumhouse and Atomic Monster co-production. Oh, so it's so James Wan and, J- and Jason, yeah, Blum and, and Wan are, are starting to work together. So what I'm saying is, it's very possible this could all happen. We need like an Avengers out there. movie for all of this shit, you know. Well, it's all multiverse stuff anyway at this point, right, Jen? So right. it's I feel like yeah. it's bound to happen eventually, this- even if it's a d- direct to max <laughs> HBO Max miniseries or something right. like that. Royal Rumble monsters, I'd watch it. It'll be like the House of Dracula or House of Frankenstein, but with <laughs> what's they're mediocre. Gonna, they're gonna, they're, <laughs> gonna, they're gonna dig up John Carradine, damn. I shouldn't say. I, I think I think I actually think Sinister is a great horror movie. I'm not. Oh, oh yeah, a lot I love of fun. It. Yeah, love it's, Sinister. It's, yeah, I actually like some movie. of in, the Insidious stuff. I was just being salty, saying mediocre horror movie. I mean, look, a lot of those Universal horror movies, which I adore. We're also mediocre, so there you yeah. go. Well, Dan, sorry, I got some bad news. I got, I got the word you're not going to be, you're no longer involved in Insidious The Last Key 2. Oh, uh, man. Which is a sequel to the fifth entry of the Insidious series. They're so, listening there. Jason uh, Blum's like, Dan, you had your chance. Well, Dan, <laughs> you, you had your chance to enter the industry with the big boys, but uh, instead, why don't you tell us what your uh, what movie you'd like to talk about that came out, that's come out in 2023. So I... I had very few options because, like I said, it's uh, pretty much the three. Well, we talked about Scream Six a little bit. Uh, we talked about Megan. Um, those I would say those are the only 2023 horror movies I've watched this mm-hmm. year. I've watched some older stuff. I've watched a lot in general. Watched a lot of Beavis and Butthead. Um, I've watched uh, The Last Dance, which I need to finish. I, I've watched a lot of non horror, but uh, the movie I would like to talk about is Skinnamarink, which Jen has seen, right? Yes. Justin, you have not still. I have still. I'll I'll share my story. I tried to, but I'll share my story as to why I, I didn't continue on with it. Continue, please. It's, so I watched this off the very full high endorsement of uh, our good friend Randall Colburn and Mel Castle. And I think I can say just the general pitch. I, honestly, there's actually not a ton to spoil about Skin yeah. and It's more yeah. just in how the movie builds and how it uses its aesthetic to its, its advantage. So it's... I guess it's technically found footage, although I don't know if I would call it found footage because, and I, and I like this about it, they don't really set up the conceit of how this footage was discovered or who's even filming, really. It's just mm-hmm. kind of like yeah. a stationary, a series of stationary cameras filming creepy disappearances going on in the house of two children. That's all I'll say without spoiling anything else. Well, it's not spoiler to say because this was literally in the description of the movie. Yeah, exactly. That these kids are in the house and they wake up in the middle of the night and their house all of a sudden doesn't have any doors or windows. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's, I mean, I, I, me. honestly, that's pretty <laughs> much the inciting event. <laughs> I'm incident, in, yeah. right? And what I really liked about it, I mean, there there are, I think if I talked about the 
true horror elements and what gets really visceral and unsettling about the movie that would be spoiling mm-hmm. it. So, but honestly, what was disturbing to me about the movie, I mean, there are some really disturbing sequences later on, but what it did for me, I mean, all of us are, are roughly, we're the same generation and roughly the same age. Yeah, we're 25. <laughs> yeah. 25, you know, <laughs> Gen Z. Uh, How dare you? I'm 22. <laughs> oh, sorry. I shouldn't have <laughs> said your age. It really, it really captured the aesthetic of the, lower middle class to middle class suburban home in the nineties. Like why I Mm -hmm. lived in, I moved every single year of my life until I was 11. And then I lived in the same town from when I was 11 to 17, but even within then moved a couple of times. Now I didn't grow up poor necessarily, but we definitely went through stretches where we had more money than others, you know, and had a lot of rented homes, et cetera, et cetera. And the movie, the way the camera is set up, you get a lot of close ups of like wall paneling and the carpet and the way this sounds like such a weird thing to say, but it captured what crappy nineties carpet looked like so yeah. well. And that somehow summoned up feelings of when you're a little kid growing up in the nineties and you're maybe up late watching TV, but you're, you feel maybe a little bit lonely or maybe something's going on in the house between your parents, they're in a fight, whatever else. It, it, it just captured the feeling of being a kid and kind of waiting in one room while you know more serious adult stuff is going out on outside in another part of the house or the other room, and then maximizes that feeling by the end of it. So for me, the creepiness was sort of just so accurately capturing what it feels like to be a lonely little kid at night in the 90s mm-hmm. specifically. And I loved it too because I think when you know we talk about nostalgia or retro aesthetics, like something like Stranger Things, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, Stranger Things is in the 80s. I know Stranger Things isn't going for complete realism necessarily, but... It gets a little bit no- annoying after a while. How, oh, yeah, it's the 80s, so everyone's listening to Kate Bush and has a Thing poster on their wall and plays Dungeons mm-hmm. & Dragons. And, yeah, of course, kids did those things in the 80s, but, like, it was a little bit more generic than that and it actually wasn't as yep. colorful as that. And I think we've done the same thing with the 90s at this point with films that take place during that era. So I like for this that it wasn't really leaning so much on existing pop culture ephemera from the 90s. It was, it was leaning on this is just how the architecture and the interior of a house felt in the nineties. And it was really, really effective. Now I will say when I watched it at first, I wasn't quite sure how, how I felt about it. It's pretty long. It's definitely a slow burn. And mm. I wasn't sure if the ends justified the means. And I was texting with Randall about it and going back to there will be blood, right? It was one of those things where I kept thinking about it the next day, mm. the next yeah. day, the next day, and it became really unsettling. I only watched it once on my just flat screen TV in my house. Randall, I think saw it three times once like that. Once on a computer with like headphones, really small screen, and once at the music box at a sold out screening. And he said it was like a different experience each time. I'm actually excited to do a more lo fi watch of it, like on a computer, just with headphones, maybe even without headphones, and just see how it, it will uh, it will affect me possibly differently. So those are my thoughts on it. But let's see, Jen. Yeah, Jen, I'm curious for your thoughts before I share my tragic Because I still don't know why Justin hasn't <laughs> yeah. seen it. I know he hasn't. I'm surprised he hasn't seen it. But I yeah, know. Jen, so am I. Oh, yeah. Were you watching <laughs> it and then it just disappeared halfway well, uh, through the movie? I'll, I'll answer it now. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> so I was really looking forward to it. Obviously, I knew it was a real slow burn, so I wanted to make sure I was awake for it. I didn't want to start falling asleep when I get home <laughs> from work. I'm tired, you know. So, And I really wanted to watch it on my laptop. I feel like that's the best way to watch it yeah. would be just headphones in and on your laptop, just kind of staring mm-hmm. at the screen. Which was the same thing I did when when Zoom premiered. I'm Zoom when Host premiered. Host. <laughs> when Zoom premiered as an ad. Yeah, here. when Zoom premiered, I couldn't <laughs> wait. I wanted to stay up all night, like Christmas. No, but I remember watching uh, Host on my on my laptop. Lights out. You know, ten o'clock at night. Headphones in and just being enraptured by it, distraction free. 
Did you try to click at the end? You clicked to close I, I, the meeting. I should have. I couldn't get out. I'm I did. There. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> but right, so with this yeah. movie, I something happened with my Apple. God bless my MacBook Air. Never giving me any problems. <laughs> being sarcastic. <laughs> so I, I fire it up. And the subtitles are on. Now, I know that there are some parts of this movie that do have subtitles, but this was saying like creek, creek, creek. You couldn't. So like, but for some reason, I could not get rid of the subtitles on my laptop. I did not want to watch it on my TV. So and, and also somebody that we know from another podcast accidentally blew a major part of the ending. So I'm trying to get this image out of my head. And watch it further down the line where I'm not waiting for this image to pop up. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> so I still haven't seen it, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And it, we talk about polarizing movies, but from what I've gathered, this is truly a love it or hate it experience. So, Jim, what did yeah. you think about though? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, I fall into the love it camp. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. I think I watched it in the best possible circumstance. I had heard from Michael Rothman how great it was, and he mm-hmm. loved it. And I, I watched it on my laptop, not just on my laptop, but I watched it in a hotel room on Ooh. my laptop. So when all the lights were out, it was a completely like strange situation or like strange environment. And I was terrified. Mm. Like there were times, like I, I kept going back and forth between like identifying with the kids and being afraid and then being afraid for the kids. And I feel like it, there's a really great blend of that. Like there are some really devastating things that happen in this movie. And I remember there were times where I was actually like putting my hands in front of the screen because I was, and I mean, there's nothing on the screen, but I feel like it plays with tension so well that like, you know, something is coming. And that's why I think it feels like found footage. Although I agree, I don't know if I would technically classify it as that. Um, It's like found memory kind of Mm. thing or something, you know? I will say- Because isn't it all filmed from the perspective, kind of the way the cameras are angled, like it's from a child's perspective almost, or most of it ground level and and whatnot? Yeah. It is, yeah. So you're looking up, like there's a part Mm. where you see the parents' legs as they're like sitting on the bed, and it's it's almost got like that peanuts feel. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, where you never quite see the top of the parents. Um, I did see a great meme that was like, this is my favorite part of Skinamarink, and it's just like a blank screen because that's- that's what a lot of it is. And that's like, there are some parts that really terrified me. I'm really glad I watched it and I really enjoyed it. I don't know how it would hold up on a second viewing, you know, mm. now that I know what's going to happen. Like I think, and I don't know if I'll ever be interested in watching it again, because I think what was so effective for me was the tension and the fear of not knowing, you know. It's, maybe it's an experiential experience. Yeah. As it were, and it was a, a fantastic experience, but. I want the two of you this Obviously, we'll be giving out your specific home addresses and the names of your children as soon as this is over. But you, both of you are parents. So I'm wondering, have you talked to anybody? Do you think – let me ask this question. Do you think that it's a different experience watching this and having kids and imagining your kids in this scenario? Does it add an, another level of tension? Or Dan, I know you're, 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 you still have basically a baby at this point. So <laughs> yeah. maybe it's hard for you <laughs> to imagine that your, your, your son running around. But Not to get too dark. Yeah, but well, I'm going to. Jen and I were talking about this off mic a little bit before. Let's do it Let's before go. you came on. No, but like so. <laughs> all right, something like school shootings, right? Like horrible mm. happen all the time. That that weirdly has started. I mean, I'm. I don't want to sound like I wasn't affected by them before that, but 
the one that happened this week, right? Boone is going to daycare now. And so that is something that has been affecting me a lot more because it's, even though Boone is not like old enough to know what an active shooter drill is, what all this other stuff, it's like, oh, that's yeah. something I know he's going to have to deal with at some point. Mm-hmm. That's really scary to me. And he does go, we do you know, bring him to a campus every day. With Skinamarink, it's a little bit tougher because, A, it's not an experience that I know he'll have eventually, and that movie hinges well, so, so much. So you think. Well, yeah, God, I hope not. <laughs> but uh, if I'm going to never let him alone. I- I'm never going to let the doors disappear in our house mm. uh, when he's being watched. <laughs> but with Skinamarink, I think because it hinges so much on it being from like a kid of a certain age's kind of view. I mean, although one of the kids is pretty young, so I guess Boone would be at that in, in at some point. But maybe because it's you know a horror movie, there is possibly a supernatural element of, about it, and it's not so so rooted in realism, even though it feels very realistic. If that makes sense, it's hard for me. Like when the when the kids are doing stuff in the movie, I wasn't necessarily relating it so much to Boone. But Jen, what about you? Because yeah. your kids are, are yeah, older yeah. than Boone is. Yeah, I feel like they are pretty young in this movie. I feel like, but they're still talking too. Or mm-hmm. like, you know, they're, I think three is one, what the youngest kid is somewhere around there. And that was, I, re- I feel like my real sweet spot for just being terrified to watch things about kids in danger. You know, like I, I've said many times on the Loser's Club, I haven't been able to finish The Shining since I had kids. And it does. Oh, I know that. Like, it's re- yeah, I, and I've tried twice because I love that book so much, but it's just it gets to that point, and I can't not see my kids, you know. But as they get older, that is faded a little bit because, like, I don't know, I send them out to play now, and I'm not so you don't have to be so hyper vigilant when they get a little bit older, and that has started to fade. But I still like I do think it makes it hit a little harder, you know, because you have a frame of reference to to attach it to, you know, and it's like yeah. now I have a cat and well, I have two cats. And so like the animal humor or <laughs> animal horror, <laughs> it's a little humor. harder, you know, yeah. I just, those cat jokes, Garfield is just a completely different experience to read now. But yeah, I, and I did, I, there's, there was one moment where the kid was crying and it just felt so oh, real. Yeah. yeah. And I've heard that cry before. And it's just one of those kind of reactions that you don't have, I think, until you are and not just having kids but like being responsible for a child that is crying like that you know i can imagine and a lot of times i do hear people who critics you know film critics who do it for a living and and they cannot abide by children in peril in movies and i will say most of the time though they are parents and so i can sit here and be like oh you're a film critic you've got to be more open about these things it's just a movie but i don't know you know if i have a if i have a child I mean, obviously, I have some kids running around that I don't technically know about, according to the lawyers. But you know, <laughs> if I if I accept well, a child one day, you know, no, I I'm open to the fact that maybe I won't be able to watch it the same way. I won't be able to yeah. experience it that same way because I will be projecting something there that I wouldn't otherwise project. Well, and I think you. a lot of that is just about awareness. You know, like mm-hmm. I am aware that Interstellar is not the greatest movie ever. True, but true. man, that scene where the father is watching his kid grow up, like in twenty minutes, like that scene really got me. And so I think, like as a critic, if you can just separate kind of yourself from that reaction, or just be aware that this is hitting me a little harder, mm. and it might be clouding my judgment a little bit. But on the other hand, like that's probably the purpose of putting kids in danger. Lots of times in movies is to try to evoke an emotional reaction, you know? So I don't know. And Jen, you said you saw it just the once in the hotel just room. Just the once. 
Yeah. And Dan, you saw? Did, did you see in theaters, Dan? I'm sorry. Did you say you saw it at home? Or no, no, at home. At home. Hey, you know what? But the, my flat screen. It might as well be a movie theater. I'll tell you <laughs> what. The way that's TVs so, are I'm today. I'm sure Michael beautiful. Scott just standing in front of like a flat screen that's like <laughs> no, this size. Ours isn't huge. I mean, it's good size. I mean, when it's, Dan, it's in the, when it's it's in the right on Dan's, when it says THX on Dan's flat screen, he stands up and applauds. He's like, <laughs> right. this, he's like, the movies are back. <laughs> like, oh man, and I'm ready for it. Well, it feels different in a home. Like, I'm not one of those like it has to be on film or like. I mean, I, look, yeah. I enjoy seeing movies in theaters. I also enjoy watching them in the convenience of my own home. So I'm a huge mm-hmm. supporter of, of good movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Digital film. I don't just make a good movie, folks. Exactly. It's, not, it's yeah. very hard, I should say, me. but you know, let's let's rock and roll. Okay, yeah. Jen, what movie do you have that you would like to discuss from this year? Well, okay, there were a couple that I was thinking about, but my Because you've seen really- I should say, by the way, Jen has seen far more horror movies this year. Than, yes. than, either, than either of Tana Have you seen everything you've wanted to see? Or every no, there's still a couple. Out? I still haven't seen Malum. Um, there are a couple that I haven't seen that I really want to, and I just haven't had a chance to do it yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm trying to do the critic thing and keep up with it. And mm-hmm. so I have seen quite a few. And I was, the, but my heart just tells me I want to talk about Cocaine Bear. Have y'all okay. seen Cocaine yes. Bear? I want you to convince <laughs> me. <laughs> to go see Cocaine Bear. Dan, because you haven't seen it yet, have you, Dan? No, and honestly, I was kind of excited about it, but then I read the real story that it was based on, and I'm sure this isn't what happens yeah. in the movie, and it's just, like, sad. Like, the the bear just ate cocaine <laughs> and died in real life. Like, it wasn't... Yeah. He didn't get to kill anyone or... Um, all right, so, but just anyway, so Jen, yeah. for people out there who maybe don't know what this Cocaine Bear is all about... Oh, yeah. What's, what's, it's what's a Tennessee going on story, what's it too. Oh, please. So- which which relates to one of my favorite things about this movie is that they get the Tennessee slash Deep South accent Ooh. right and made me very happy, and I'm super picky about that. Um, okay, so in 1985, a drug dealer named Andrew Thornton was found with an unopened parachute in a driveway in Knoxville, Tennessee, and a whole bunch of cocaine was found in the Chattahoochee State Park, I believe, some kind of state state park, national park, forest thing. And a dead bear who had overdosed on said cocaine was found right next to it. You can now see the stuffed remains of Pablo Escobar, as they call him, at Fun Mall in Lexington, Kentucky. So, oh my God, this I know. Is so, grim. Not, it they is shipped very the grim. bear to Kentucky. They did <laughs> to throw him in the mall. In, in fun mall. Like, I mean, at least give them like a good named mall, you know? Anyways, so yes, grim story. If I had not gotten a screening invite to this, I would not have cared about this. I would have tried to watch it like uh, like after Octopus Fights Giant Shark or something like that. Mm. Um, and so I had very, very low expectations, but I was like, you know, whatever. I'm going to have fun. And I could not believe how much I loved this movie. Like, mm. it... It might be my favorite of the year so far. Wow, this is interesting. Okay. And that is solely because I had so much fun watching it. Like, I've only seen it once. I don't know how it'll hold up, but, like, it is so gory and grisly, but it's also funny. The story is completely different, so it's not the grim bear. Like, the the bear's alive, like, when the movie starts. There's a there's a twist that I particularly love, and I don't want to spoil it, but you can say it. It's the bear finds heroin halfway through the movie. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, because you know, <laughs> cocaine is a bear heroin gateway bear. drug. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, and 
I think the thing that really won me over, one, it's Ray Liotta's last performance, and mm. he's great in it. The cast is hit or miss. There are some that I really liked and some that I didn't. Margot Martindale is fantastic in it, and mm, she's playing always. this real scumbag character, and I just love her. But the movie, it's got a lot more heart than I was expecting. You know, like, it's it's not overly schmaltzy, and there are a couple of emotional beats that I didn't really care about, but, like, it really drew me in by the end of the movie, and it's, like, one of those situations where you find yourself, like rooting for the bear at certain points. Like, it's just, it's really fun. And I mean, the gore and the deaths are just exactly what you want for a movie called Cocaine Bear. There's drug humor that, like, I can tell whoever wrote this has actually done cocaine, you know. And it starts <laughs> with <laughs> with Matthew Reese in, like, this bananas cameo just like bopping around this airplane with his mustache like he's like one of his americans characters only in like an airplane movie you know and it just from there it's just it, it was so much fun like we were laughing out loud we were gasping like i would say see it in a theater or see it with people if you're gonna yeah. see it i don't know how it would hit if you watch it at home on your own but Maybe do a little just, coke. I'm not kidding. I'm not endorsing <laughs> cocaine. I'm not endorsing cocaine. But yeah. you, you mentioned Matthew Reese and Margot Martindale, and I guess Carrie Russell's also Carrie in this, Russell, right? yeah. So big there's Americans. a big Americans connection, yeah, too. Nice. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that one of the co writers is married to Samara Weaving. Really? Well, of course, is in Scream Six. She is in Stream 6, yeah. And, well, she's just incredible in lots of things. But I don't think she's in this, or if she is, I don't she's, think she's in it either. I think she was, I yeah. remember her somehow promoting, I don't know what I would have seen. I definitely don't subscribe to her on Instagram or anything like that. Would never do yeah. that. <laughs> now, somebody else is in this movie that you haven't mentioned. And it's somebody that I've been looking out for, like, you know, like, like the bear was looking out for that cocaine. Mm-hmm. And that's Mr. Han Solo himself. That's right. We found him. And as somebody who has not seen Solo, I was like, oh, I like this guy. He's interesting. And then I looked him up and I was like, oh, he's in Solo. Maybe I should see that. So, Alden, yeah, he's great. Alden, Alden Ehrenlich? Yes. Does that sound right? Yes. He and, oh gosh, I'm going to say his name wrong, but he and, uh, hold on, I got it. I got it. O'Shea Jackson Jr. Oh, yeah. are the two drug dealers. This is not a spoiler. It's just, like there are like 10, 15 people that converge on this park with all the cocaine. This is like Robert Altman's version of a creature feature, right? This is like all yeah. these all these disparate characters <laughs> finally at the end finding each other. It's kind of like like a what was that rat race movie or something where it's like just yeah. a bunch of wacky pairings, you know, and but they are like the the one of the two like emotional cores of the movie and they and I really enjoyed both of them, you know, like one of them is wearing like, and the the 80s touches are fantastic too. They're a little over the top, like a little harder than Stranger Things, but that's fun. Mm. And like, it makes it, this is what I wrote in my review. It makes it easier to watch somebody get just completely mauled by a bear when they look like they're wearing like a Halloween costume, you know? <laughs> so, it's just, think- the- no, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was just saying, it's like, it's got the, the, perfect tone of like over the top violence and over the top humor and it like shifts back and forth between those things so you never get too tired of either one you know and then now, it this was you a with big an hit. emotional heart you know well that's the thing I, I was not expecting you to say that it kind of gets emotional at points yeah and, and it does. i mean i didn't cry overdosing. but like it's yeah they're gonna make a sequel right I hope so. Cocaine bears the, with a Z. Oh man! If you get a, <laughs> let's do this crossover. You get a bunch of the Megan dolls 
for its sequel, and they meet up with a bunch of bears on cocaine. I mean, this yeah. is a slam dunk box office hit. So in the uh, Dungeons and Dragons trailer, you know, where um, Sophia Lillis, uh, King's Dominion, is riding mm. that bear thing. Like, mm-hmm. can you imagine Megan riding around on cocaine bear, just like oh, man. snorting everyone's... I wonder what cocaine would do to Megan. It would probably... Right. I don't know. It would short circuit? Short, yeah, short circuit her. Or would know. it make her even more powerful? Yeah, because she's got emotions now, or, or her sinuses now, AI. <laughs> What's going on in that, in that head of hers? <laughs> Yeah. Maybe we'll find out in Megan to Megan's Megan too. All of our strengths and none of our weaknesses. Oh, God. I really can't get this image now of of Megan atop a grizzly bear and guiding it by its like the side of its head while yeah. its Just, nose is filled with cocaine. And Dan, it's, yeah. it's like that Red Hat Chili Peppers album, The Getaway. Isn't it like a little girl leading a bear on the front of it or something? Is it really? Right? <laughs> I think so. I, I think yeah, I think it's like this. a bear raccoon or something else, yeah. Dan, will you be checking out Cocaine Bear? I will definitely be checking this out. I feel like it will inevitably be on Peacock or something like that in the next couple months, and I will. Yeah, be, I think be maybe in a couple it. of weeks, actually. Yeah, the way that See, it works. That's these days. the problem because I feel like if I do check it out, it will be probably at home by myself on TV, which is how Jen said not to watch. It's, mm. I guess it's in theaters still, right? You should do that. Get her old friend probably Casey. Probably somewhere. I mean, if you're in New York, it probably is still in theaters. You know? Yeah, it's not it's, in theaters in Nashville anymore. I don't think. Yeah, Casey would probably see Cocaine Bear with me. Yeah, it'd be a fun time. I'm just going to yeah. invite her over to yours right now. <laughs> Fire and I'm not saying her. don't watch it at home. Just, you know, temper your expectations if you watch it at home. Imagine, like, me screaming in the corner saying, yay, cocaine bear, go, you know. I'll tell you the amount of times time. I, I exclaim the very same the very same words. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, these have been three movies. But I, I do want to see cocaine bear. And I do want to see skin in the ring. So I'm looking forward to those. But what we need to do now is we need to shift gears here. We need to go back in time, back to future style. <laughs> this is going to start singing. Let's do it. We'll get dinged for copyright infringement, but let's <laughs> Huey Lewis come at us. We're going to talk now. Each of us are going to present a movie that came out before 2023. It could be from you know 1905, or it could be from 2022. Anytime. In that era, even 1904, 1903, no, um, anytime before 2023. And we are going to discuss it. And the person talking about has never seen it before. They just watched it for the first time in the last couple months. So let's kick off with Dan. Dan, what movie did you watch recently for the first time that's, that's, that's not brand new? What is it? It's funny because I... I almost want to change my response to the last minute to something that is more horror because I saw I saw that movie Lamb, which I really liked a lot, mm. uh, which came out what last year, twenty twenty one, something like that. Twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two? Yeah, and I think recent. it was underrated. But I'm not going to talk about Lamb because I'm going to talk about my original film because I know at least one of the other people on this call has seen it. That is Cruising with Al Pacino, mm. which of course is. Uh, William Friedkin, director of The Exorcist, about a under an undercover cop who infiltrates the gay S&M subculture of the 80s to find a serial killer who is targeting gay men. Now, I should preface this with, I don't, this isn't new. This is pretty much the universal consensus about this movie. I don't think it completely worked. I think if it had been more confident in its ambiguity and what it's trying to say with the ending, it could have been a a more mysterious, eerie kind of movie throughout, and it sort of drops its spaghetti, I, I would say, in the third act. That being said, I thought there were some 
really terrific borderline horror sequences in this film. Like the murder sequences to me almost felt like a Giallo film or something like yes, that, which I, I was agree. not expecting. I, it's I definitely, thought, this isn't like a, a Sherlock Holmes movie where you'd say this no. is not a horror movie. There are definitely horror elements in this, 100%. I, I would never refuse yeah. talking about this. And I, I would say, too, the problem with the movie is, and, and Al Pacino and Friedkin have both admitted this, I don't. they kind of didn't know what they were trying to say with the ending, or I don't want to spoil too much, but yeah. with the, the identity of the killer, or maybe possible lack of identity around the killer. like that, like the, You could tell the filmmakers weren't making decisions when they were... Uh, the hard decisions when they were creating this film. And then there's obviously a lot of controversy that came with the movie when it came out, you know, especially from the gay community saying, Oh, is this, is this a silence of the lambs thing where the filmmakers are trying to imply that all gay men are deranged serial killers, which Mm -hmm. I I don't think the movie is doing that, but I do agree that it maybe wasn't presented in the most thoughtful kind of way. All that aside though, the reason I wanted to talk about was because I actually do feel like freaking draws on his horror experiences a little bit here and creates these murder scenes that are very stylized, very brutal and just very memorable. I think I was more expecting like a, just a gritty kind of early eighties New York crime film. And the movie is that to an extent, but it it felt more like a horror movie than I thought it was going to, which is why I bring it up today. And I'm just not a Pacino kick. I'm loving, uh, loving eighties, nineties Al Pacino, but I'm not alone there in that. Yeah, but keep I, you up to date. You know, I love my Pacino as well. I got to finish uh, son of a woman. That's what I'm in the middle of right now. After watching Ooh, uh, meet Joe black, uh, which maybe is a horror movie. Um, uh, meet Joe black is my horror movie. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But who, I know I don't, Jen, I don't know if you've I'm seen curious cruising. about Jen. Jen, have you ever seen cruising? I have not seen Cruising. I, I think it's one of those movies that I've heard about for a while, but really had no frame of reference. But it seems to be kind of back in the zeitgeist in the last like week or two. You it's, know, it's a movie that goes on a roller coaster throughout its history. Where, like Dan, you said, but even before, well, it's being made. There are people picketing and, and causing issues for the production team, and then for a long time it was a real, the real, a real black sheep, a real black mark. On Freakin's filmography, Pacino to this day doesn't want to talk about it, the experience really? of it. He has not talked about it in 40 years. But it's had its ups and downs, but right now there's been definitely a reclamation project around it, how it really is ultimately quite an effective movie. Mm-hmm. It was also coming off of, on the heels of, he had done a few movies in the 70s, but notably, obviously, The French Connection and The Exorcist back-to-back. This is William Freakin we're talking about. Then he did a movie called Sorcerer, which I need is amazing. To see that still. I heard it's, it's incredible. Talk about movies that bombed, but they're amazing. Sorcerer is, is awesome. So that bombs, and then Cruising did not do very well either, and it kind of more or less ruined the rest of Freakin's career. Freakin's has some good movies after that, but nothing near The French Connection and Exorcist mm-hmm. and Sorcerer. He's almost had more like, li- like bu- Bug and Killer Joe are like really yeah. good. Play Definitely very good movies, but no, yeah. it just derailed his career, though. You can't yeah. dispute that. But Cruising Gin is a movie that I think with Dan, it's not perfect. It's it's pretty good overall. I, I definitely am. It's actually playing at the Alamo Draft House in Chicago. They're, they're playing Cruising. They're having an Al Pacino month next month. Good timing, Dan. I'll tell you right now, I, I, the ending has stuck with me for over 20 years. Really? I still think about the ending of that movie and what it means and what it doesn't mean. And like you said, there's such. Dan, I don't know if it's deliberate ambiguity or accidental. But whatever it is, it's it's kind of chilled me over time. No spoilers, obviously. I should say, I really like the ending ending. Like, the yeah, literally the last like, 30 seconds of the movie. Yeah. My issue more is the, the rest of the third act, the ramp up to that is where it gets a little muddy for me. A little confusing, yeah. Yeah, it is interesting, though, because 
Once again, I totally get the criticisms about cruising from the gay community when it came out. I totally understand that. But what I've seen in favor of the movie since it's gotten this kind of reclamation is that a lot of gay people, a lot of gay film fans that I know are like, no one else was telling a story about gay people, period, in the 80s. I mean, maybe yeah. here and there, but and it's pretty like, you know, he went to actual sex clubs and fi- the, yeah. you don't, I wouldn't say it's NC-17 level footage, but some of the stuff you're seeing that's you think is suggested is actually just like a, a sort of obscure angle of a real sex act that's going on. And so I know a lot of, of gay men are like, Oh, you know, freaking was at least trying to tell a story about our community back when no one was. And so, yeah, it's, you know, and I, I think it's one of those movies that maybe it's kind of a litmus test depending on how you feel about it, right? Like more, what does that say about you and yeah. your yeah. views of those sorts of things? But it's definitely worth checking out. I mean, it's definitely flawed, but it, it was different. And like I said, if you're, Honestly, even if you're just looking for some thrills, cruising definitely has that, and more more than I thought it was going to. So it's, yeah, I will it's definitely soft recommend. A, it's it's, and I try not to use this word too much, but it's fascinating to watch it. It's a fat. It's there's definitely a lot to talk about, whether or not you like it. Or, it really is. There's there's so much to talk about with it, and it is based on somewhat factual. There was a killer out there who was killing gay men in New York, and it's loosely based on a killer that was doing this that was found out years later. Who was I'm not muddy, muddy of this this person's background exactly, but he worked at a hospital, and uh, he's yeah, yeah. actually in The Exorcist that William Friedkin did. He's yeah. in the Spinal Tap scene, right? Yes, yeah. he's in uh-huh. the Spinal Tap scene. So, it's, so it's, he's in. It's based on him. It's actually loosely based on him. Wow. Which is with, uh, did Friedkin freaking- Small World? Did he know about that before cruising, or is it like later on? Like, oh my I, god, this happened. I read. William Freakin's autobiography, first of all, if you like Freakin or film history, you got to read it. Everybody out there listening, it's really great. There are definitely moments where you are reading the book and you're thinking, how much of this is real and how much of this has been conveniently misremembered? Mm. And I don't want to misquote it, but I feel like there was some... I can't remember if he was saying he didn't know and it was a coincidence or he knew. I, anyway, read the book. Freakin it's a, fa- Freakin's a fascinating person as well. I love say that. Very unreliable Freakin, narrator. Like, narrator. My favorite thing that Freakin does is when he, some other filmmaker will come up. He's kind of like Paul Schrader a little bit in this way, but mm. some other filmmaker, one of his contemporaries will come up and he'll just trash them. But for yep. something really innocuous, the one I always think of, I think, I think this is him, not Schrader, right? Who, uh, Oliver Stone said, Oh, you know, DVDs are going to be obsolete soon because people love film too much. Like at the seeing it on the screen and, and I wasn't freaking. It was like, Oh, he's so full of shit. What does he know? I have tons of DVDs or something. <laughs> it was him or Schrader. And I always think that's like such a endearing, funny uh, story. I, if you want to see something freaking doesn't give a shit about anybody, which is kind of what's fascinating. He is before we can move to Jen on YouTube. He is interviewed by Winding Refn who did drive Bronson, mm-hmm. a number of other movies. Winding Refn refers to Drive as a as a masterpiece, his own movie, to Freakin. Go on YouTube and, and check out this one minute inter, uh, excerpt from this interview. It's freaking just and, like and Freakin's reaction <laughs> is so funny and so just transparently cruel. You gotta check it out. He doesn't care about anybody, which is kind of. <laughs> I mean, I like Drive a lot. I would maybe call. I do too, but it's but very yeah. funny watching Freakin react to Refn referring to his own movies as a masterpiece. Jen. What movie from the past did you watch for the very first time recently? 
Well, okay. I was torn between two. I was originally going to talk about Possession, which is mm. newly available on Shudder. Fantastic. But I talked about that for almost two hours on Horror Queers. So it's a great double hear, feature with Cocaine Bear. It, exactly. <laughs> I know. I mean, you, you might need a little cocaine after watching oh, Possession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so check out my thoughts on that. But I want to talk about Spiral from the Book of Saul. Oh, so I finally right. watched this. I have been okay. avoiding it. I've got a lot of mixed feelings about the Saw franchise. And so I didn't, and I, I missed it when it came out. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. But I, it was on Hulu the other night, and I had some shit to do. And I was like, okay, I'll just put this on. And I didn't love it. Like, I feel like of the eras of the Saw franchise, it's probably my favorite after Jen's childhood crushes, Saw, which is the first two. Wait, um, you said your, your childhood crush? Yeah, Carrie Elways and Donnie Wahlberg. Oh, I thought you were talking about in... John Kramer. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Big, big Tobin <laughs> Bell. No, 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 sorry. Tobin okay, Bell. so <laughs> of the Saw, okay, so here are the eras. There's Jen's Childhood Crushes Saw. There's Lady Killer Gun Necklace Saw, which I, I just couldn't think of a third thing. And then there's the Friar Fuck era of Saw, which is, I'm not a big, Costas Mandalore is you know, Friar Fuck on Sex and the we, City. I feel like eventually... On the Halloweenies, we will have somehow discussed all the, the Saw movies. Because we did do a Saw. We did cover Saw on our Patreon. Right. Patreon.com backslash Halloweenies. Yeah. With Randall, I think, right? Yeah, because I remember binging them all, much like The Simpsons. There was not a lot to do a couple years ago. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to finally catch up on all those Saw movies I missed <laughs> from years Man, ago. And I, re- I was going to do that, too. I really, really tried. I Well, I did it. And it's I, I can't sit here and say I, I enjoyed them. But I did enjoy the experience, and especially the experience of discussing them with people who had seen it. It's like Cocaine Bear. You know, Jen, I'm not going to speak for you, but I'm sure you're not saying like, oh, Cocaine Bear is uh, a 10 out of 10, one of the greatest movies I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely. It's the experience, right? It's the experience. Mm -hmm. If I had just seen it by myself, which I did, but if I had nobody to discuss it with, it would have just faded into oblivion. I I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have had the same experience. But there's something about talking about the lore of it all, all the, even all these years later, we still make jokes about the movie, that has enhanced the experience for me. So now I look back much more fondly on those sequels than I would have otherwise. Well, and, and also, too, one of the few franchises where my favorite entry is the sixth <laughs> film, probably. You know, That's like, like, how like deep fran- in the yes, prior fuck era. Great. Yeah. Also, He's on his way out, no spoilers. But. I love <laughs> its stubborn insistence. <laughs> I love that it hasn't been re- remade or retconned, even Spiral. They weren't really clear when it came out whether it was going to be, you know, and it is a direct sequel. It's years later. Yeah, yeah it's the same I, universe. I, I love its like stubborn insistence to just stick to this one ongoing story that just would be insane if you described all of it out there. But uh, yeah, yeah, I Spiral I saw at the Starlight Drive in Atlanta. But I, same thing, Justin, I watched all of the sequels during the pandemic because not much mm. going on. And well, wait, Jim, what your, you, you said you, you thought it was okay, but what, I don't want to give my thoughts before you've given your detailed thoughts. I thought it was great. It didn't, it was, it was fun to watch by myself late at night, you know, Mm. when I wasn't really expecting a whole lot. Um, I feel like the kills were not too overtly trying to make me puke, which is why I've avoided some of the later ones. (laughs) Yeah, Um, definitely. And I, you know, Chris Rock, I feel like he was a little over the top in some places, but I enjoyed it. And I agree with you. I liked the tight story 
And I liked that that it felt a little di- like it felt like a new twist on it, you know. And it gave us a rap song over the closing credits, which I when is the last that. time to the the strings of the the score to the first saw. So the great the great scores uh, the great exactly. saw score as it as it were. And some of the nods to the first one too. I I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. You know, I thought it it I was expecting a lot worse. I I I feel like Spiral is sort of in the mid tier of Saw sequels for me. Yeah. I, <laughs> the rare horror, horror movie I say this about, I kind of wanted it to go further with the social commentary. I thought that was mm. like, I thought the idea of police brutality, like a, a black police officer in his role against, in police brutality against other black men, yeah. or, or, or I, don't, I don't want to spoil too much, him going after cops who, enact that brutality on black men, but then also getting tangled up in it in kind of a way. I think, I don't think that spoils too much. That was really interesting to me, but I feel like it sort of drops that toward the end and become from what I've only seen it once, but I feel like it kind of drops that toward the end and just becomes kind of like another mid-level saw movie. I I didn't hate it either, but I, it was like the, I don't, I never thought I would say, Oh, I want a saw movie to have more, (laughs) more of the commentary. Although, Hey, my favorite one is the sixth one, which is all about our healthcare system. So maybe, maybe maybe saw movies are so batshit that the commentary actually works really well because it's just contending with such insanity throughout the rest of the movie. It's wild that there's been nine of them and it's all continuity based. There's no reboots in between. Like it all kind of ties together somehow. Like, hey, did uh, but, you know this thing happened three years before the last one? Yeah, can you believe what year would? Like, some people in the movie are also, by the way, unaware of the actions of Jigsaw. How do you right. not know oh, what this guy has been doing? And like this elaborate <laughs> scheme he's been doing post death—that's not spoiling anything. That's just part of the lore now, by the way. Right. But oh my god, I will say, my, I did have a pleasant experience with this though, because this might have been the first movie I saw with a bunch of people. In like two years. Yeah, it was one of the first that, that was in theaters, I think. Yeah. It was around like Kong yeah. Kong versus um, yeah. Godzilla. My, Godzilla. My first yeah. one I saw in theaters was Kong versus Godzilla. And I think this, for, for me, I think this was probably the last like quarantined movie hmm. I saw at the drive-in. Yeah, this one I saw when things were kind of opening back up, I guess. God, was this two years ago now this movie came out? It really was. Uh, yeah. It's 2021, yeah. yeah. That I think that's obviously why I added it. to it. I think what I missed, though, I, I appreciate as somebody who you know defends Halloween, Curse of Michael Myers, I do like it when some of these <laughs> franchises spin. But for mm-hmm. me, what I love it's like that love-hate relationship I have with that huge score and the idea of Billy and, and, and Jigsaw. Like, I miss those elements. Obviously, I'm trying as I get older not to criticize what, what a movie wasn't, but what it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. But you know, I still, God, I really did. I really did miss those elements, and I think I, I think I kept a w- waiting for them to pop up. Mm-hmm. Not to spoil too much, but they don't really pop up. Which they is weird try because, to establish like, a new lore. Usually, it's like we don't want the nods. We don't want all these know, Easter know, eggs, but right? Was, but it's like, but, but that's like what Saul. They're so, they're so low grade. <laughs> anyway, that's what you love. You watch it for Tobin Bell wearing the backwards cap. You watch it for that puppet riding the bike. You and watch the big it for finale with the music, you know, the Rube Goldberg yeah. torture shit. You want that in a Saw movie, right? It's, it's, it, yeah, right. it's like the one horror movie. That's like, yeah, I somehow wanted more commentary and more what I know. More Saw it's, nods. It's so funny. We're all yeah. walking contradictions at the end of the day. I will say, well, Jen, are you excited though? Because later this year, a movie that I'll be referring to as Socks. The rest of the year, which is Saw 10, <laughs> the Roman numeral X. Nice. Socks I like is that. coming out. 
We're back, Jen. It's back. Yeah. I think it's the same writers actually who did Spiral are doing Saw Ten. Apparently, they've done a bunch of them, haven't they? Uh, oh yeah, Stolberg yeah. the and Goldfinger. Ones. We got Jigsaw apparently back. Apparently, Mark Kramer back. Billy back. The, the score is back. <laughs> Billy, back. will you be there? <laughs> if I had not watched Spiral the other day, no. But now, yeah, I'm back in. I'm on board. I'm excited about it. Like it has reinvigorated my Saw love. Mm. If they, I don't. Carrie always, I feel like he might actually be dead in the world. But if they can find a way to bring him back, then I'll be there on opening night. Well, how many Saws have you him. seen, Jen, at this point? I've seen most of them. I think I, the last phase I called the trying to make me puke Saw era, and that's where I tapped out. I think. Well. You know. It's not really spoiling this because he's in the cast. Uh, let's just say Mr. Always does return. Yeah. I, and that might, I think I did see him return. Yeah. In one of the, uh, well, maybe, it's maybe the worst entry. I think it's the seventh one he is back. Yeah. Uh, the I like, final uh, chapter. I thought Jigsaw was quite good. Yeah. Jigsaw? Is that the one where they're like in a mall or something? They're in like oh. a farm, like, like a barn. Yeah. Okay. But they're like, they've got these buckets on their heads yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. yeah that's, 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 that's literally half of them. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> no, Jigsaw's got the buckets on the head. Yeah. The Is that the one where there's like an elaborate trap and somebody says you want to play like a game? There's like but metal handcuffs like involved. Shamey thing, right? Yeah, it's... And I'm I'm very squeamish about, uh, or I think I'm way more squeamish than I am, but I've been really into French Extremity recently. So like, I don't know, I've put off these for a long time. So I think I can make it more than I I remember I you can. saying, Jen, I remember you... I thought you were much more screamish too, and then you're like, "Well, I'm gonna go fire up martyrs." Oh yeah, uh-huh. I thought, okay, dude. <laughs> I watched martyrs. Inside, and I'm like, "This is my fucking favorite movie ever." I love this movie. So yeah, I want to see Inside thing. so bad. I, oh my god! It, but it's is it so a Christmas good. movie? Should I wait till Christmas to watch it? I mean, it is a Christmas movie, but you you can watch it without it being. It's not like Christmas Vacation, you know. You <laughs> That'll be an older movie. It could be said any other time. So yeah, I mean, I'd still watch it. I mean, it's essentially Violent Night as if Inside were. Home Alone, you know. I still need to see. I heard Violent Night's actually pretty fun, too. Violent Night is fucking awesome. I loved it. We'll talk about that for our Christmas episode, no doubt. Yeah. (laughs) We got a new hot Santa in town. Sorry. (laughs) My my movie is definitely a movie I remember seeing the the VHS box for for years. Have either of you seen 1991's Popcorn? I have not. Oh, Jen, you have seen it. I have. Yeah, it's in one of the Shutter collections. And I was just like... You know, just breezing through one night, and I was like, "Huh," because it's got a really evocative poster. You know, great poster. It's it's like it's a skeleton holding a mask of just a, a young woman, right? So, yeah. oh, it's the creepy, which actually has literally nothing to do with the movie itself. But it's a great right. poster. It's a great poster. Mm-hmm. Drew me in. You know, the, here's the awful summary I found that I would never want to watch this movie if this is what I read. Real mayhem mars a B movie revival featuring mosquito and attack of the amazing electrified man. It's so much more than that. All right. It's so much more than that. A little background about this movie is that it was written. It says it's written by Todd Hackett, but AKA Alan Ormsby. Now, Alan Ormsby worked with Bob Clark on a number of his seventies projects, projects, especially death dream, which came out around the same time as black Christmas. He plays the lead jerk as it were in children shouldn't play with dead things. So he had a real history with them. I think Bob Clark was approached to do popcorn, but he had moved beyond horror at this point. He'd done Christmas Story, the Porky's movies, so he said, forget it. So Alan Ormsby was supposed to write and direct it. He actually directed the movies that you see, The Mosquito and Attack of the Amazing Electro Fat Man. 
He directed that and was directing most of the, the actual proper plot of the movie. But he was let go or something happened where he did not finish that. So Mark Harrier directed it. Now, Mark Harrier was the lead in the Porky's movies. So there's a big Bob Clark connection going on here. It's a movie that's pretty hard to explain because there's kind of, you know, yeah. satanic rituals, meta humor, family opera type stuff going on. But I'll <laughs> say this, and Jen, maybe you'll agree with this. If you like the opening to Scream 2, that's basically the plot of Popcorn. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, there's more to it, as you'll discover as the movie goes on. But this cast is also ridiculous. You got Jill yeah. Schoen. Who was in? She's she's the daughter and the stepfather. Mm-hmm. She's in Cutting Class. She's in the Family Opera. Dwight H. Little version, aka the director of Halloween Four. D. Wallace Stone is in this movie. Kelly Jo Minter, who you know from People Under the Stairs and Elm Street Five. And then you got for maybe two scenes. I don't know how we, how they got him in the movie. Ray Walston, Mr. Hand. From Fast Times at Richmond High, Glenn I'm Bateman from Glenn the stand. Ba- I say Glenn Bateman. That's that's my and of course him. my favorite Martian. And then you got Tony Roberts throughout this entire movie. Now Tony Roberts was a uh, recurring actor in many films by an old director that you may have heard of, or maybe not Woody Allen. Uh, anyway, long story short, not to get into that. Really great veteran cast supporting a lot of these younger actors. But the plot, it's just a lot of fun. What's happening is basically throughout the movie, there's this revenge plot that's going on. And you are watching the audience watch these B-movies that are happening. Mm-hmm. And there are things that are happening. It's very much in the same vein as the old uh, William Castle movies, where you've got buzzers in the seats. There's effects going on during the movie, props flying around. They capture that really, really well. In addition to this kind of tragic story that revolves around who's responsible for all these killings. And I, I want to praise the actor, but I can't because mm, it will spoil, spoil it. Yeah. <laughs> but this is such a great performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, Jen? You can yeah. please speak on it, Jen, since you've seen it. I didn't know if either of you had seen it. Oh yeah. The killer is very interesting. Mm, and yeah. like one of those things, and I don't want to say too much about it either, but it's like the kind of thing I could see myself writing about at some point. Cause there's just, it's, it's so different and interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just wacky and fun. And I feel like it like really perfectly catches 91 yeah. too, yeah. you know, like it's not into like what we think of like is the caboodle era nineties, you know, it's mm-hmm. still a lot more eighties than nineties, but it's yep. just the teen kind of drama stuff with it is fun. Like it reminded me a lot of slumber party massacre Two kind of energy to it. Yes. You that's know? a good, that's a good comp. That'd be a great double feature. Yeah. Actually, those two together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, if you liked this, Justin, have you seen Amityville 3D? Because Tony Roberts is in that. Uh, absolutely. Yes. The and great Tony Roberts is the lead in that. That's right. Ooh, yeah. He is. Yeah. That's that. That's what I know him from. Not. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that's on his CV at the <laughs> exactly. very top. But yeah, it was really fun. And I know um, Megan Navarro, too, has said this is one of her favorite movies, too. It's It's a guilty pleasure kind of wacky Oh, thing. you know, but yeah. and the way it ends is so over the top, uh-huh. but it's also like kind a of theater perfect. kid kind of movie too, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. which is, is fun, you know, yeah, because any the, movie the that main... references Phantom of the Opera is down. I'm good with it. Too. Oh, and it, it definitely references Phantom of the Opera throughout, <laughs> especially the very end. 
And I believe that, they, speaking of theater kids, I think that they are. Aren't they theater kids who are putting on this film festival? Isn't that the I think conceit? so, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And the, you know, I'm not here to plug Shudder. I think it's still on Shudder. It, it, it's a movie that, for years and years, I, I, I always meant to see and, and finally said I'm going to watch it. And mm-hmm. just enjoy it. It's a fun movie. It's maybe 90 minutes long, not too yeah. long. Moves pretty well. It's Jen, you said it captures like 91 really well. I will say it does, but... In its own way, it feels like it's head and shoulders above a lot of the horror that was coming out around that time because we were mm-hmm. now in that period of the in-between of the slasher movies and Scream. Yeah. A weird mm-hmm. like six, seven-year block there. Yeah. Dan, I know you love cinema and, and horror movies and slasher movies. Do you think you'll be checking this out? I think so. I feel like it's on Shutter, right? Is Joe Bob I think it's on it Shutter. Yeah, yeah, it's on Shutter. I'm pretty uh, sure. It's yeah, I, I think be. eventually. I mean, I, look, there's other priorities. <laughs> you got to watch. You got to finish Meet Joe Black. <laughs> and, no, I did. Oh, no, no, a child. Too. Fun fact: <laughs> the lead of this movie, Jill Schoen, was in cutting class with Brad Pitt. They were engaged. Oh, that's right. <gasps> really? And she left him for her Phantom of the Opera director. Speaking of Phantom of the Opera, for her Phantom of the Opera director, Dwight H. Little. Ah, from who directed Halloween. Halloween Four: The Return of Michael Myers? So uh-huh. look, you'll you be doing it for together? Brad Pitt. No, 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 no. <laughs> didn't Man, last, she left Brad. I mean, look, I don't know Dwight H. She left Brad Pitt for Dwight Little, huh? You know, like, might be I don't older. see this guy going anywhere. You know, <laughs> might be a whole other psychology behind that. We, we we don't have time to unpack that. That might be a power dynamic, episode. maybe. Yeah, exactly. Jen, yeah. you said everything I wanted to say, but I'll let you you go ahead and say it. <laughs> 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 yeah, she Not wanted to, to work again in the industry, and Brad yeah. Pitt wasn't going to get her any roles. It was I'm sorry, time. I'm sure Jill Sh- Jill Sholin is fantastic. She's has some. She's been in some movies I, I really do like a lot, though. I yeah, Lover and Father. You know, she's great. Well, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think this episode was a roaring success. Yes, absolutely. Caffrey, what do you think? Uh, I was going to try and roar like Cocaine Bear, but uh, <laughs> you have to, like, I don't just know. Shake like, your bleeding nose what does he sound like? Is his roar altered? Because does he just talk really fast instead of roaring? Yeah, he just roars a lot and talk and really fast. Yeah, he just—he basically just sounds like Yogi Bear. I'm assuming because Yogi Bear's yeah. way would assume that bear <laughs> yeah. would sound like on cocaine, as it turns out. Right. Well, that, this that has been is great. Scientific. <laughs> as it turned out, we had plenty to talk about for all of those movies. So let's recap here. We we, we talked about Megan. Skin the rink, cocaine bear, cruising. Oh, <laughs> no, spiral. spiral, spiral, that's right, bo- yeah. The spiral, the, the book, book of saw. saw. We must, yes. we must refer From to the book of saw. Spiral, From the book of saw. Book of saw yeah. Meet Joe Black. <laughs> meet Joe Black a little bit. GI <laughs> Joe. The Simpsons. Yes. Meet Meet GI Joe Black. <laughs> and of course, oh my God. And of course, 1991's popcorn. This has been a blast. Hope you enjoy this. And I guess that does do it for this episode of Halloweenies, but. As for the rest of April, we're just getting started because it's an evil dead April. Mm. And on the main feed later this month, you can check out an episode on our top 10 favorite effects from the Evil Dead franchise, which will eventually lead to our reaction to Evil Dead Rise. Yes, we have confirmation that after a year delay, at least to us in our ignorance and thinking it was actually going to come out last year, it's finally coming out in April and in theaters to boot so we'll have an episode in which we react to that looking forward to that and on our patreon which again you can find at patreon.com backslash halloweenies pod we'll be doing a watch along of fetty alvarez's 2013 evil dead which 
I think we know that has aged quite well. I like it much more than I did even ten years Same. ago. Yeah, Jen, oh, you a fan of it. Evil Dead twenty thirteen? Yes, huge fan. And yeah. and Lou Tyler Pucci also big crush on him. One of our favorite names. Yeah, Lou it, can't forget right? it. Lou Taylor it, like, Pucci, great name. Rolls off the tongue, but yeah. also like defies your ears. Another Simpsons you know, reference too. Yeah. yeah, much like Alden Ehrenreich's comeback in Cocaine Bear. Maybe Cocaine Bear two can feature our boy Pucci. Let's, yeah. let's get the 10 year anniversary comeback going for my boy here. Also, on that Patreon, we're going to be continuing our Fortune and Glory Indiana Jones series look back with the only prequel of the series and definitely the least controversial Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Uh, Ooh. Dan, <laughs> what's going on in New York City these oh, days? Man. Uh, Big Al Pacino Apple. is looking for a killer. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> um, it's crazy. No, uh, I don't know if I have anything to uh, to plug. I'll have a, I have a play of mine going up in in Utah that I can talk about eventually, but it's not been announced mm. yet. So that yeah, it's kind of horror adjacent. Yeah, yeah, just hey, living life, uh, being a dad, looking for that help, helping Pacino look for that serial killer. <laughs> I'm sure Jen can confirm this, but you know, being a, a dad is kind of its own adventure. It is, yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, and. and I would say one of the biggest characters in that adventure is the city of New York itself. Oh, um, wow. Oh, what, yeah. a, what a backdrop to be, to, you know, to, to, to raise a child in and just one of the fun times, I think, you know. That's why Three Men and a Baby is such a good movie. I love it. I could talk about that movie Three for another two hours, but we can't, cocaine, that. we can't do that. We can't do that. Jen, what's going on in your neck of the woods? And also, I guess the Losers Club, what's going on? Do you have the uh, the old... I think I've got the calendar right now, but I want to... I do. Yeah. yeah. We, we, we are about to embark on Bachman Month mm. because we are reading Blaze, which is, I mean, you know, unless there's another Bachman around the corner, that's the last Bachman that we are going to have in the chronology. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be talking about all of the Bachman books, and we're going to be talking about Stephen King's writers. We're going to be doing an episode on Blaze itself. And we're going to be doing another Hollywood Tweets um, where we're going to maybe talk a little bit about The Last of Us and Yellow Jackets and how King relates to all of that. So lots of fun stuff. And we've talked about a lot of good movies in this episode, but I just watched a lot of really crappy and corny movies because I just watched the entire Children of the Corn franchise. And I wrote about, I know, it was it was a long long it took several years off my life but there were some great moments so i wrote about the the corniest craziest things that happened in that so that is on bloody disgusting and yeah so lots of fun stuff if you follow me at jim Ferratu, i'll post it all oh yeah yeah and of course loose club also part of the bloody disgusting yep. network so yeah i'll be on a number of those i think i'll be on the bachman ranking episode oh yeah and i think i'm on the hollywood news and tweets episode too so hollywood king yeah That'll Here I come. Fun. Got my sunglasses ready to go. So, <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> anyway, though, thank you, all of you, for joining us for our inaugural now showing. But I'm afraid the curtain is closing and the lights on the marquee have shut off. But we hope to see you again soon. And we hope that you will join, join us. Join us. Bye, everybody.
This is the end of our show. For now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>